All right, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans, the first chapter. We've just gotten started with this uh, particular study in our book of Romans, and I think it's still a, an appropriate message for this day. We're going to talk to the, this afternoon about a, a gospel worth sharing. This is what uh, Baptists have been trying to do all, their, uh, all the way back uh, t- to the days of the apostles sharing the gospel, and Paul was uh, giving us, uh, he gives us here the importance of a gospel that's worth sharing. We're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. After introducing the messenger, the message, and his own motives in the first 15 verses of this book, the apostle Paul turns the spotlight on the gospel that he's going to be writing about uh, in Two verses here, verses 16 and 17, were given one of the greatest summaries of the gospel ever written. Uh, For it is in these verses that we can see a clear declaration of God's power and purpose in the gospel message. Uh, Now, before we get into the verses concerning the gospel message, let's take a couple of steps backwards before we move on. Beginning in verse 14, you notice there, we uh, beginning in verse 14, 14, we're going to notice three I am's. Three I am's of Paul. Verse 14, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul said, I'm a debtor uh, to the Greeks and the barbarians. How did he become indebted? How did he rack up a debt? Well, did he run up a bill at the local Ace Hardware, uh, charging a lot of stuff because he was building tents? And so he had to have supplies, but he couldn't pay for it, so he just charged it. Is that the debt he's talking about? Or is he uh, talking about a bill for neckties and suits for preaching evangelists? Uh, No, that's not the debt that he is talking about. Here it says that Paul was a debtor. Had he forgotten to pay a bill? No, he hadn't forgotten to pay a bill, and he had no business transactions with these people. But he did have a personal transaction with Jesus Christ that had put him in debt to every man because the grace of God had been so bountifully bestowed upon him. Uh, Paul was in debt to a lost world and you and I are in debt to the lost world as well. Uh, we have not paid our debt until we, they have heard the good news of the gospel. So we are debtors just like Paul was a debtor. He says, I am debtor. And then look at verse 15. Here's another I am. He says, so as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul said he's a debtor. Now he's ready to, to pay. He's not only ready, he's eager to preach the gospel. Oh, how we need the enthusiasm and the high anticipation of getting out the word of God. And then in the next verse, we have the third I am. In verses 16 and 17, we have the key to this great epistle to the Romans. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul says, I am a debtor, I am ready I am not ashamed. I am a debtor. That's an admission. He admits it. He says, I am ready. That's remission. 
and I am not ashamed, that's submission. Three missions of Paul. I am a debtor, I am ready, I am not ashamed. Now this statement about the gospel may seem a little strange. It seems that out of the blue, he tells us that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Now in our day, this might sound kind of awkward. Why should he be ashamed? Perhaps a little understanding of that culture will help us understand why some might have been ashamed of the preaching, the message that Paul had been given. I think there are at least four reasons why some might be ashamed. Uh, first of all, there's uh, because of the moral condition of that day. Now, in that day, Nero was the emperor of Rome. He was a wicked, a degenerate man. The city of Rome was a cesspool of sin. It was a wicked place to live. And the gospel Paul preached was diametrically opposed to everything that Rome was. So some might have been ashamed because of the moral condition of that day. Some would be ashamed because Paul was a Jew. Jews were considered by many to be a subhuman race. They were fit for nothing but to be despised, mistreated, and enslaved. Ordinary Jews would have been tempted to shy away from non-Jews. And then thirdly, because the gospel that Paul was preaching was almost unbelievable. Think of it. The Savior that Paul was preaching was a male member of the despised Jewish race, He was said to be the Savior of man. He claimed to be the Son of God, even God Himself, and yet He claimed to be a man. His death was different than other men in that He died on a Roman cross, a symbol of shame, and in dying His death, He was said to have died for all men. Now that's almost unbelievable. I mean, just the ordinary person, that's unbelievable. But if that wasn't enough, this man has, was said to have risen from the dead the third day after his death. And to many people, the claims of the gospel were just too bizarre to believe. Things haven't changed much, have they? There are still people who say, well, I can't believe that. That's ridiculous. The 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved... The power of God. And then there's a fourth reason that some might be ashamed. That is because Paul was persecuted. Everywhere Paul went preaching the gospel, he was ridiculed, he was cast out, he was imprisoned and treated cruelly. Many would have not been able to to endure the shame of the cross. With all these things in mind, it's easy to see why Paul would want to be clear about his commitment to the gospel message. He would want these people to know they're hearing from a man who believed his message and was willing to pay the price to share it. Now that we know why some might have been ashamed, why wasn't Paul ashamed? After all, many in our day are ashamed of the gospel of of Christ, the message. There may be some here sitting today that might be ashamed to give out the gospel. They say, I can't get that, give it out. I, I don't want people to laugh at me. I don't want people to ridicule me. I don't want people to persecute me. What was it about the gospel that invigorated the, the apostle and kept driving him around the world preaching the same hated message? 
You know, after you witnessed to a few people and they said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. If you knocked on a door and said, you know, can I come in and tell you about how Jesus died for you? No, and slammed the door in your faith, uh, face, you might, you might get discouraged, right? You might say, I give up, I quit. Now, Paul, because in these verses here, these two verses, Paul reminds us that we have a gospel worth sharing. So let's look at these two verses and see five reasons why it was worth sharing. Number one, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God. The word power comes from a word that refers to the might, energy, the force, the strength that dwelt within God. The Greek word here is dunamis. It's the word where we get our word dynamite. But we don't translate the word here, dynamite. Why? Well, the Greeks didn't know anything about explosive powder at that time. They didn't know anything about dynamite. God doesn't blow us up with his power. But the idea here is that of the divine might and energy. On the one hand, the gospel is a sweet and loving message of mercy and grace that the Holy Spirit in His sovereign grace makes operative in the heart of the sinner. On the other hand, the gospel has the power to change the most sinful person on this earth. There is power to make alive that which was dead. Now that's power. There is a power to keep a person saved for eternity. God could have revealed his power against sin in any way he chose. He could have wiped men off the face of the earth. He could have done anything that he wanted because he is an all-powerful God. He can do anything. And therefore, it is a blessing to notice that when the Lord moved to do something about sin, he exercised his power in sending men the gospel of grace. Now, nowhere is the power of God so visible as in the gospel of Christ. Think about it. When God takes a lost sinner, saves him by his grace, makes him a new creature, that is a powerful thing. God could have sent us all to hell, but he instead chose to send us his love wrapped up in his son, the Lord Jesus. And I thank the Lord that he loved us first. This is the reason that Paul was not ashamed. The gospel is the great and wonderful mystery which from the beginning of the world which had been hid in God into which the angels desire to look whereby his manifold wisdom is made known unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. It is the effective means by which God saves men from sin and misery and gives them eternal life. The instrument by which he triumphs in their hearts and destroys them Uh, Within them, the dominion of Satan. The gospel, which is the word of God, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And by it, as the word of truth, men are begotten by the will of God. James 1.18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The exceeding greatness of his power, the power of God exerted in the uh, 
gospel toward those who believe is compared to his mighty power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand. And so while the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, to those who are saved it's the power of God. The gospel is power in the hand of God as opposed to our natural powerlessness and utter inability to obtain salvation by anything we can do. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. It's also the power of God as opposed to the law, which could not save. Romans 8, 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now notice that Paul's message is a gospel of Christ says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Make no mistake about it, there are many different gospels that are being preached in our day. There's the gospel of religion. The gospel of religion says, what you need to do is just turn over a new leaf, start over. Okay? Do better this time. Say, I'm going to do better. That's the gospel of religion. There's the gospel of materialism. It says, you know, your worth is determined by what you have. Gain is the goal of life. There's the gospel of liberalism that says, I'm okay, you're okay, God accepts us like we are, and He'll take us to heaven if heaven really exists. But we're going to make it, okay? That's the gospel of liberalism. Then there's the gospel of society that says, well, just do as you please because life is short. And you go only go around once in life, so do all the getting you can get. Paul's message on the hand, other hand was, you're a sinner. And if you die in your sins, you will go to hell. However, God loves you and sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. And if you will place your faith in Him, then you can and will be eternally saved. Tell me, which gospel are you trusting this afternoon? Which gospel are you trusting? The power of the gospel. But notice, secondly, the purpose of the gospel here. The gospel has power for a definite reason or purpose. It is the power of God unto salvation. That is the end and the effect of the gospel. It embraces everything from justification to glorification. It's both an act and a process. It's equally true that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Why did God go to such lengths for us? Why did He give up His Son to die on the cross for the sins of humanity? Well, the primary answer is simply that He loves us. However, there's more to it than that. God's plan, God's purpose in giving the gospel message is salvation. And that word salvation is a very important word. It means safety, preservation, deliverance. It carries the idea of being rescued from all harm and danger. God's desire in saving sinners is to forever deliver them from the spiritual death, the spiritual defilement, the spiritual deception, the spiritual destruction. And lest we forget the end of all sinners outside the Lord Jesus Christ is the fire of hell. God's purpose in giving the gospel is to change men's destination in eternity and his life here on earth as well. 
And so as the primary purpose of the gospel message is the salvation of the lost. Now, I don't know about you all, but I truly enjoy being saved. I'm grateful to God that he gave us salvation that we don't have to worry about. Well, am I going to make it or am I not? Am I doing enough? And there are some people today that are going around saying, you know, if you do enough good works, maybe you'll be all right. And they even teach it in their, in, their, in their teachings. They put a big scales up and say, this is the scale, and God's going to weigh your good works. And if they outweigh your bad works, you'll make it. I'm glad I don't have that kind of a salvation this afternoon. And so we don't have a, a salvation to worry about. There's the power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, and thirdly, the plan of the gospel. Verse 16 tells us in no uncertain terms exactly how this gospel message of salvation is activated. How is it activated? Notice that it is to everyone that believeth. That makes it perfectly clear that biblical salvation does not involve complicated religious rituals or ornate or elaborate religious exercises. Salvation is a product of faith and faith alone. Of course, we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5, Not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, there, this is a point where many people will stumble. People like to do things for themselves. You know, you try to offer some to help somebody. No, 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 I, I've got it. You know, I've got this. They feel like they have a part of everything in their life. However, in the matter of salvation, the sinner can have no part. It's all God, all the way. Salvation comes to the person who is willing to simply receive the message of Christ by faith. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 5.24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on Him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 6.47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Acts 16, 30 and 31, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. I'm so thankful the Lord kept his gospel inexpensive and easy to understand. I'm so poor, I can't hardly pay attention. I'm so glad that salvation is a free gift. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to pay for it. All I have to do is believe it. What are you trusting on? The power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, the plan of the gospel, and fourthly, the pledge of the gospel. This great saving gospel message is for every single person in the world. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel of grace. I want you to notice the words 
from our Savior in Revelation twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The pledge of the gospel is that anyone who hears the message and needs the cure can be saved by God's precious grace. Now many have labored over that term, this phrase here, when he says in verse 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that shouldn't bother us. God didn't give the gospel to the Jew first in reference to priority. He gave the gospel to the Jew first in reference to time. He had been dealing with the Jewish people for thousands of years, and when he sent his son into the world to the Messiah, as to be the Messiah to the Jewish people, they rejected him. In John 1 and verse 11, it says, He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now the Lord has turned to the Gentile peoples of the world to offer them salvation as well. And so he said in verse 12, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so salvation is available to every person on the face of the earth. These verses make it clear that salvation is for anyone, regardless of race, regardless of social standing, regardless of education or ability or wickedness. There's nothing that can prevent anyone who wants to be saved from being saved. The pledge of the gospel is to every man, everywhere. And I'm so thankful that it is. If you had, if there had been restrictions on salvation, then I surely would have been left out. I'm glad it's free. I'm glad it's by faith. And I'm glad it's absolutely foolproof. The power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, the plan of the gospel, the pledge of the gospel, and then the product of the gospel. Man has two great problems. The product of the gospel in life of a A believer is righteousness. The two problems that man has, number one, he thinks he is righteous and therefore acceptable to God. Problem number two, he's absolutely wrong about number one. Man is not righteous. Man cannot produce righteousness by self-will or his own works. God has already said that he will not accept the righteousness of man. For the righteousness of man is as filthy rags in his sight, according to Isaiah 64, 6. Paul is talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ. God places a lost sinner in Christ, and he sees him in Christ, and the believer is absolutely accepted because of what Christ has done for him. And the only method of procuring the righteousness is by faith. It's by faith righteousness. You can't work for it, you can't make a deposit on it, You can't buy it. You can't put it on layaway. You cannot do anything but accept it by faith. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The word righteousness occurs 92 times in the New Testament, 30 plus times in the book of Romans. I think it's an important word. The root of the word simply 
uh, means simply right. Justice and justify come from the same word, to be right. It's the primary meaning, and it's the opposite of sin. Now, someone has given it this definition. It's a state commanded by God and standing the test of his judgment, the character and acts of a man approved of him, in virtue of which the man corresponds with him and his will as an ideal and standard. So when faith is placed in the gospel message, Jesus is believed on in the heart, God takes the sinner and declares him righteous. What man cannot do by effort, God does by his power. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And simply stated, everything man looks for in religion, peace with God, acceptance with God, a right relationship with God, it's all given to the believer when he receives the gospel message. So that's a message worth sharing. Now what does it mean when he says here in in verse uh, 17, From faith to faith. Well, it simply means out of faith into faith. God saves you by faith. You live by faith. You die by faith. And you'll be in heaven by faith. Let me illustrate this. A number of years ago. It's been a number of years ago. I was born. Okay. I was born at the true crossroads of America. It's where the Santa Fe and the Chisholm Trail intersect. Now, I used to tell my students it was the center of the universe. You know? And actually, that place is just a little bit north of Newton, Kansas, where I was born. But you know, when I was born, I understand, and some of you young people need to realize this too, that this is probably what happened to you. But when I was born... I understand the doctor who delivered me lifted me up by my heels and gave me a whack. And I let out a cry that could be heard from the Mississippi River to the Rocky Mountains. I was born into a world of atmosphere. And the whack started me breathing atmosphere. It was from air to air. From oxygen to oxygen. And thank the Lord I haven't gotten over that. And then about nine years later, and 35 miles west of Newton in the town of Hutchinson, Kansas, I was born again. I was saved by faith, and from that time it has been by faith, from faith to faith. And praise the Lord, I've never gotten over that. This righteousness that Paul says is revealed in the good news of salvation. Revealed means to uncover what had been hidden. There was a day, a point in time when the Spirit of God revealed to me that I was a sinner and that my righteousness was not going to save me. And I placed my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you also notice here in verse 17, one more thing. 
It says, as it is written, and that refers to Habakkuk 2.4, where the statement is originally made, the just shall live by faith. This is quoted in three great epistles of the New Testament. Romans here, and then in Galatians, and then in Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. Justification by faith means that a sinner who trusts Christ is not only pardoned because Christ died, but he also stands before God complete in Christ. It means not only subtraction of sin, but addition of righteousness. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. In Romans 4, 21, And being fully persuaded that when he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his name's sake only, but it was that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus from the our Lord from the dead, who was delivered by our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The act of God in justification by faith is not just an arbitrary decision on His part. It does not disregard His holiness and His justices. Since God saves us by grace, this means that there is no merit in us. He saves us on no other ground than that we trust Christ And because he loves you, Christ died for you to make a way. The Lord Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. Since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, salvation is ours through faith in his blood. And the hymn writer was correct when he said, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now we've been given here a gospel worth believing. And one that is worth sharing. And the questions we bring these thoughts together are these. Are you trusting this afternoon the gospel of Christ for salvation? Are you sharing the gospel like Paul did? Or are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The same message that he was, that was able to save then can save now. The same power that worked in Paul's day is working in our day. All we need to do is see the gospel work in power, and that is to believe and to share it. And when we do these things, God will do the rest. Let's bow our heads in prayer.